Okay, sinking in three, two, one. Nice. This microphone's definitely a little different just looking at, uh, like, that clap. That had a very interesting uh, wave it did. It actually sounded kind of interesting, too. I don't know if it picked up an echo or something. Maybe. I hope it's a good one. It it should be just a normal-ass Logitech, but I don't... Audio equipment's so fucking finicky. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. We don't need to spend time bitching about my new microphone. Because maybe it sounds good. Yay! We can celebrate your new microphone. Yeah, let's do that by talking into it and having a conversation. Yay. That's what everybody wants. Yay. Uh, where's the... Okay, I want to I wanna see if you can you can quote, or you can recognize this quote. Okay? Okay. Okay. Two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona, where we lay our scene, from ancient grudge break to new mutiny. I'm guessing We're... Romeo and Juliet. Yes. Now, there's a reason I brought this up. I'm listening. I typed into Google, famous opening monologues, and this one came up, and I was reading it, and it's like, I don't recognize any of these words, but I'm not very literate. I I feel like uh, it's been a very long time since I've read Romeo and Juliet, but just the, the there's a couple of uh, you know buzzwords in there that it's like, oh, it's probably that, and just the way the, the language was, it's clearly something old. Uh, it was a, a, an educated guess, but still a guess. I don't think I would recognize it at all. I so sometimes when I do these openings, they're mostly based on like parody. Mm-hmm. And parody works best when you can recognize the source that's being referenced. So it's like, oh Romeo and Juliet, that'd be great. And I was reading it, and it's like, I don't think I could rewrite this in a way that anyone would care. I don't think this is recognizable. But you guess I feel like right. a lot of uh a lot of stories have ripped off Romeo and Juliet though. I don't know. Well, I think the like concept. Underworld the, and Greece. But the wordage, like, did it open like that? I don't know. Um, Underworld think, opens with a monologue about werewolves and vampires. Yeah, but not like that. Not the, those lines. Like if I no. rewrote it, where's it's gone? What the? You know what? It's dead. I don't care anymore. <laughs> um, that's right. It's opinions are cheap with Cameron and Chad. That was the worst opening I've put together in years. I'm almost tempted to not chop out the the typing I just did to pull this back up. That's okay. Because I feel like at this point we should just embrace how bad this opening is and and roll with it. Because I'm happy, clap along if you're happy, because that's what I am. Okay, so here here's let me let me ad lib some uh, parody lyrics here. Um, two opinions, both alike in dignity. In fair opinionopia, where we lay our scene, from ancient opinion, break new opinion, where civil opinion makes civil hands unclean. From forth the fatal opinion of these two opinions, a pair of star-crossed Chad and Camerons take their Yay! opinion, whose We're misadventured piteous opinions do with their death bury their parents' opinion. I don't know that that's funny. I kind of liked it. Also, okay. no, Underworld opens up with the line, the world, had all, the, the world had all but ground to a halt in the blink of an eye, which isn't very Romeo and Juliet-y, Kate Beckinsale, if that is your real name. So, first of all, that's neat, and it's better than whatever I was doing. I just want to watch Underworld now. It's been a while. You can do that. 
want to get drunk and watch Underworld. I want to get drunk and do a lot of things, but the getting drunk part's very important at this moment in my life. Yay! We got options. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, you know, we're not going to talk about it, and we're not going to say what they are. But did you see the Last of Us spoilers leak? I saw that they did, and there was actually a gymquisition about it on whether it was a disgruntled employee or employees or a hacker, and it sounds like it may have been someone hacking, and it happened. I don't know. So this was, this was an opening for me to, to bring up this question I like to ask people of what do, what is a spoiler? Because hmm. I think I know we've talked about it on the show before, but I just want to say it again. I feel like for something to be a spoiler, it has to actually spoil the experience. Yeah, I feel like uh, it's interesting, right? Because so I'm reading Saga and uh, I, I put uh, flipping through the hardcover trying to find my spot. And I was like, I wonder how many pages are in this. So I flipped, not to the end, but around the the ending. Because I was curious to see what page number I would get. And it turns out I flipped to the last page of the last issue. Which doesn't end well for someone. Important. And then it's like, to be continued. And then the back matter is all like essays and artwork. And I was like, well, fuck that. That was annoying. I can't believe I just did that. But I'm not really broken up about it. Because that's a plot detail. And getting there is going to be what matters, all, all the character work, the emotional beats, and stuff like that. Like, someone dying or not dying is only as important as the lead-up to that, right? Like, knowing... You can go into a movie knowing how it's going to end and still appreciate it or not appreciate it. Like, I knew most of Joker when I watched that because we had had conversations about it. And I still really enjoyed the good parts and really rolled my eyes at the bad parts. Uh, knowing them ahead of time didn't really change much i don't think so, i yeah, really experience i i really think a story is only good if it's worth experiencing more than once mm-hmm. like if a mystery is boring the second time you're reading it then it's not good you know like if you can go back and you can read um sherlock holmes books because they're fun and it's fun to watch them piece everything together and you might know who's behind the hound of the baskervilles but it's still a fun journey to get there. I know the um one of the big things are like the Marvel movies, right? When those got spoiled for people and they're getting so furious, and it's like that's because most of the Marvel movies are largely just plot. Like there's not a lot going on to them other than the characters are making funny remarks and they're fighting the bad guys, and there's gonna be one or two twists, and you're gonna be like, oh no, and then they're over. But, there's not a lot of substance, and so you watch them once that, and you don't the, need the to Marvel see them again. movies. They that that whole thing irked me because. Everything I saw didn't seem like a spoiler. It's like, no, I watched the last 20. I know where this is going. Also, yes. I I mean, like, people were upset that Tony Stark died, and then they're upset that someone else told them that that's what happens. And it's like, is this your first one? Like, how stupid are you? It's like, if that upsets you so much you can't enjoy any Marvel movies anymore, then I think you need to see a professional. The other problem with the Marvel movies is the uh, the actors' contracts are so like well known and discussed in just pop culture that you're like, oh, they didn't renew Tony Stark's or uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s contract. He wanted too much money. And it's like, oh, then he's gonna die. Then that's what you do when that happens. So, anyways, I I just I bring this up again because with the Last of Us spoilers, I watched cutscenes, I read a plot summary, and it's like, yeah, I felt like this stuff was in the trailer. And I guess some of the stuff I read and saw wasn't, like, explicitly in the trailer, but it's like, I feel like a lot of this was kind of implied. Like, 
I'm, I'm getting the same feeling I did with the Marvel thing, where it's like, wait, you you thought that all the foreshadowing about Tony Stark dying was just going to be a misdirect for like no gain, right? So I mean, when um, I and I like to bring this up that the stories used to have like if you go to a play, you'd have a playbill that literally outlines like what happens so that you can follow along, because part of the the part of the challenge in telling a play is you're you're very limited. Like, there's no camera to zoom in on an important clue. Like, the, you have to have props that are very large, and, like, you have to declare, like, what's this? He left his locket behind to, like, hand information to the audience. So sometimes by just letting the audience know that Sherlock's going to find a clue is enough to help fill in the gaps when it doesn't come through in the acting on stage. There's also that, and then there's the fact that Certain play-going populists, they're not... This is a story when I was taking a a class in Shakespeare in college, is that uh, everybody went to a showing of Hamlet. And uh, there was a people in the front row that were getting really upset when the rest of the audience was laughing at the the comedy bits. And there's a shitload of comedy in Hamlet. Hamlet is a very funny play. Uh, Because they're like, this is Shakespeare, you have to take this seriously. And they were too, like, dumb to realize that Half the things, like, like Hamlet's making fun of Polonius in this scene. It, it's funny. He's, you know, making fun of the old man kind of thing. And they're, they're jokes. Like, like no, this is serious. This is Shakespeare. It was written a long time ago. And so you have to deal with people like that, too, who are just... They're stupid, but they want to enjoy a story. And so, you, you, you know, common denominator sort of thing. Yeah. It's just... I'm reading the Shakespeare opening lines to... Romeo and Juliet, and the opening, like, it literally opens saying there's two houses and they're in rivalry, but then there's lovers, but because of the rivalry, they kill themselves, and it's their parents' fault. Here's their story. Does it really go that far? That's funny. That's, I just, yeah, that's what I said. I just threw in the word opinion a lot. Mm-hmm. But it's it's very direct. It's a very brief, like, oh, we're going to begin the play. This is a play of tragedy. Let me explain what what's tragic about it. So that you can appreciate every step along the way that you know is leading towards an ultimate um, negative outcome. I wonder if they, that has something to do with fatalism, where it's just like, no matter what happens, they're going to die. So they're, the tragedy yeah. is less that they died and more that they could not change their course of life. But then that feels like a little too philosophical for a lot of Shakespeare stuff, because I don't know if that kind of philosophy came about till after. I think there may be an element of it, but ultimately I do think this is just the style that plays were written so that they're palatable. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, I mean, it just, it used to be if someone was too stupid to understand the play, you would point and laugh at the buffoon. But now when someone's too stupid to understand the Marvel movie, um, they get front page on Reddit for being outraged that the man at Taco Bell said he was sad about Tony Stark dying. I remember the big one was that uh, the Spider-Man died. And the the one, and people were, people were really upset. About that too? Yeah, people were really upset. And you're like, you you guys know they're making another movie, right? Like, there's like advertisements for it already <laughs> at the time. So, I I don't know. I I'm I'm just I'm looking at this Last of Us stuff, and it's like you know it's a shame that uh that it happened the way it did, but also the silver lining is it's not like they ruined anything. And then I'm seeing all these people saying that they're canceling their pre-order. And it's like, you don't deserve your money. Yeah. Go, go ahead and buy the game and just throw it away. That would be a, great, a greater gain for society at that point. 
Um, I, in I general, don't... I would prefer not to know the ending of things when I approach them, right? Like, I, I like the surprise. Now, see, There's something to be said for surprise. Um, I So I'm the opposite. I would rather have the Shakespeare paragraph at the start, like, explain what the story is so that I can actually appreciate it. I can I can count on one hand like the number of movies where I'm happy I didn't have someone explain it up front and the vast majority of movies I'd rather just know what it is because it would save a lot of time. Um it was oh like Inception. I I feel like there's people that watch Inception and they act like they're real smart because they recognize the Greek chorus and they go, "Huh, she's only there to explain it to all the stupid people." Oh. And then those people are also so stupid to think that the top is his device and not his oh, wedding yeah. ring. And it's like, if you don't pick up on the subtlety, you miss the ending. So you can blog about how smart you are and then also argue on forums about, did the top fall over or not? I bet it was just the wood grain. And it's like, I don't... The problem with smart. that, too, is that they're focused on plot and not the symbolism of the top and what it means for him to not look at it. Because it's not about whether it falls over or not, it's whether he cares. Because it, it's, it's a character moment. And then, I feel like that was a big problem in a couple movies that came out recently that people were just, like, bitching about. I think there were horror movies. It might have been either Midsummer or Hereditary, and it's like, but why did this and this and this happen? And it's like, it's literally not about that. Those are just things that happen. But they mean things that are actually way more important. Yeah. And the other thing is that not every movie is smart. A lot of them are supposed to be just popcorn flicks. So mm-hmm. who cares anyways? And oh, it was Annihilation. Okay. <laughs> Have you people, seen that movie? No, but people overthought that one. So Annihilation is is basically uh, a giant metaphor for cancer. But it's also kind of a Lovecraftian alien movie. And... Uh, a lot of the, some of the discourse around that movie is like, what does this mean? I bet it means this. And it's like, no, it's literally about how this character just survived cancer and how it has changed her as a person and how seeing all these people have died, have changed her as a person. Like, it's not about the fucking aliens. They're just like window dressing. And, and it's really frustrating because people are trying to have this conversation and they're, they can't see the forest through the trees. It's a really oh, good movie, though. So so I want to go back, though, to the first thing I said about um, how I actually... I kind of prefer knowing what the movie is before I go in. There's there's two examples of this I want to give. The first is a horror movie. I want to know, is it just jump scares or is it suspenseful? Because I That's have fair. to psychologically prepare for annoying jump scares or something actually like dread will build up just mm-hmm. so I can watch through the movie. But the other one is uh, Star Wars Episode Nine came out. And it's like, okay, I got to read what this is about. So I read what the plot was. And then I watched the movie and I was able to follow it. And I was the only person in my family that knew what happened in that movie. You know, I feel like, because we talked about some of the plot points of that before I saw it too. And I feel like that did affect my enjoyment of the movie in a positive way. It, and I think yeah. it's because some of the really goofy, weird shit that comes out of nowhere, I knew was going to happen, and so I could just roll with it a lot easier than other people who are just like, what the fuck is Palpatine doing back? And it's like, oh yeah, I knew that going in. You just kind of got to shrug and be like, hey, Palpatine's kind of cool, right? Like, he does the force lightning thing, I'm, I can dig it. So, 
Yeah, and it's not always going to be like that. But if we were told what movies are about before they start, we could have more movies where zany stuff happens and we don't have to put in a Greek chorus to explain along the way. Mm-hmm. Like if someone just like narrated the opening to Inception and and explained, here's the rules of the dream world and now our story it might come across as dry, but then also you might not have people asking, I'm sorry, so what, there was five dreams and what? The problem with that is that uh, writing's changed a bit since Shakespeare, right? Like, to me, the exposition dumps I don't like. I don't want to be told facts. I want them to be integrated appropriately into the story so we can learn them as we need to learn them, which is why I generally don't like books with prologues, because if you have to have a prologue, it's like, what did you do wrong structurally that you need to insert a bunch of information for us before we can begin chapter one yeah i suppose but it's not always a it it depends on the story it does and i think that there are times where exposition can be done well and exposition can be permitted but then there's also other times where it's like yeah you don't know what you're doing and this is your emergency panic button i also and it, it comes down to the director and the movie right like i remember there being a conversation over the movie mother when that came out because there's some really graphic shit in the end and it's like should there be trigger warnings in front of this so people know that the this this trauma happens and they can be prepared for it and i'm just like well i like that i wasn't prepared for it because when it happened it was like really shocking and fucked up and then i really thought about that movie and there's a lot to think about and it's like oh it turns out it's an allegory for writing it's an allegory for the the christian you know biblical myth and genesis it's a bunch of different things because Aronofsky is a really good writer and a director. And I think giving people that information ahead of time, while you get to appreciate the puzzle pieces as you watch it, you lose some of that uh, stick to You know, when the movie's over and you're like, what was that about? I have to know. It's so you think about it and you talk about it and, and uh, discover the answer through conversation instead of it being told to you. No, that's true. I, I guess ultimately I think that what I'm most upset about isn't the format of these stories, but rather I think the creator should have the ability and the option to choose the format and present it in a way. And I feel like there's a lot of things, especially in like Hollywood, there's market research that says we need to do it blank way. Mm -hmm. And so the only stories that get picked are the ones that fit into that square peg. So what I get upset about, it's, it's like the last of us two, leaked that's a bad thing and i wish it didn't happen but or not but rather i wish that people didn't um overreact because there's a weird thing where i think people mistake like plot hooks and twists and progression of plot as spoilers and they categorize it as, oh, it's a thing I didn't know was in there, and I didn't see it in the context of the thing, therefore I'm mad. And they're not actually mad about anything, and they don't know that they're upset yet. They've just trained themselves to be like, oh, no, no, it's a thing, I gotta retweet it. I gotta get this up on Reddit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, that's what I'm most upset about, is that the audience doesn't know what they want because they're stupid. So they'll see things like, wait a minute, Ellie gets a blue car... I, I didn't get that organically. Now I'm not going to appreciate the blue car. And it's like, er, er, okay. That was in the trailer, so. Yeah, it's funny, too. I remember when uh, Game of Thrones, that season ended, and I had gone a really 
I did a really good job not getting any Game of Thrones spoilers as the show surpassed the books. I don't know how, because I wasn't, like, actively trying. It just didn't really happen. And then I think it was on, like, the morning show on the radio. They're like, I can't fucking believe so-and-so dies and then Bran becomes the so-and-so. You know, they just, like, regurgitated everything. And it's like, I'm just driving, like, passively listening. I didn't realize this was going to happen. Um, but my, my, I think my main thought was largely, it wasn't less like, oh, I can't believe all that happened. That sucks that I know that, but more like, well, how did that happen? Because that's actually a really appropriate ending for this story. Then you go and find out that the fans are fucking pissed off because the, the show just did not do a good job executing this ending. Whether it's a good ending or not, the show just fumbled the shit out of it and things didn't make sense. And they forgot that Bran was a character until the last episode. And like, well, why don't we just make him king? He's here. Um, and a bunch of other stuff. And you're like, okay, so the the plot spoiler isn't the problem with the show, or it's it's how you get to that plot spoiler, right? Like that's where they they lose me. Is like, oh, I guess they did a really bad job. I hope the books do better because if the books end that way, I don't care. I just want the journey to that ending to feel earned. Yeah. So really, and and can you imagine? Would the fan outrage be a little better if they were told up front than like the direction that season eight was going to go in? Because I know, you know, eight had some like production quality things that people pointed out, and there are some like inconsistencies that people complain about. But I hear the biggest complaints about like the character turns. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, I wonder if everybody said, "What's her name's going to go crazy." And kill everyone in the final season. Don't miss it. I feel like you'd get a little bit of people going, oh, I can't believe they spoiled it. And not nearly as many outraged fans as they ended up with. Yeah, and part of it, you know, like you said, it comes down to things like budget. And there's just so many characters in that show and then that book series. And if you don't have a a 1,500-page book to execute this properly, you have a handful of episodes and... You have to focus a lot on spectacle and boobs and blood because that's predominantly what people are watching that show for at the moment. It, it's hard to be like, well, well, we need to really showcase over time this character going crazy. And it's like, yeah, but we have to have, make sure she spends at least two episodes with her tits out. And it's like, oh, shit. Well, that only leaves us four episodes for her to go crazy instead of all six is kind of the uh, the the way I took it anyways. But I haven't seen like any episodes of Game of Thrones. Still waiting for the book, though. Yeah, did you see? Um, did you see Martin's? <laughs> the he he brought that up. The book. Every every couple months, he's like, "Don't worry, guys, I'm still working on it." And it's like, yeah, but I like, hope so. He he brought it up during the coronavirus thing. And he said, "You know, with with all the self quarantining, I got time to work on this." And all the comments were, "Shut up and work on it." <laughs> it's like, don't joke about the people dying. Don't you know, like you have all the time in the world because you're a very successful set man. Mm-hmm. Um, it does not take this long to write a book. Just admit you don't know what you're doing. I think he's had to rewrite whatever he's on multiple times because I, he runs into his own plot holes. And then the HBO show ended and people were mad and he's just like unhappy with things or his editors like this doesn't make any sense. And I think the reason he's been on this book for this long is because he's probably rewritten it like four fucking times. Honestly, if I was him in the same position, I would have waited for the series to end and just let them like focus group it for me. Yeah, there's there's definitely a logic to that. I I don't 
you know, and it, it kind of depends on the story. If I, I, I feel like if I cared enough about Game of Thrones and I was writing it, I would know what the ending is by now. And it would have been what I built towards. But if it was just like, oh, my first one is successful, so I got to write a sequel. I'd probably be coasting on it hard. Well, the problem is, is it was supposed to be a trilogy. So he's kind of known where he wants it to end since he started. It's just that the more he writes, the more things he decides he enjoys writing about. And then he will not listen to his editor to be like, no, I don't want to get rid of this. I like this part. What if we do more of this in the next book? And he's so... And I don't blame him because when you're in that kind of mode and you're writing and you're having a really good time, you want to just make everything huge and impressive and, and whatnot. But then you eventually have to deal with that. And that's what he's kind of stuck doing now. It's like, oh shit, you did way too much and we all expect uh, these plot threads to wrap up because if they didn't, why would they be here? So I guess... I don't envy him. Yeah, no, I, I don't think I do either. Um... But I, I do want to go back to my very first question, really. What What is a spoiler? It's a thing on the back of a car. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so, you know, we, we talked about that for a little bit. Did you want to talk about elves like we promised we would? We did promise to talk about elves, and I spent a little bit of time on Wikipedia and TV tropes. And I didn't really learn anything new, I'll be honest. It seems like every notion I had about elves is like, nope, these are the ones, you got them all. They think they're better than you, they live a really long time, they're magic, they're skinny, uh, and that's about it. Apparently they don't fuck a lot. So, that's funny. Um, I feel like there's two different kinds of elves. And the one that I ended up thinking the most about was actually, like, the short ones that are, like, tricksters. The Keebler elves, they live in trees. Yeah, and the shoe ones, the cobbler elves, mm-hmm. um, and Santa's elves. Like, I've never heard the concept of the tall elf until the Lord of the Rings movies came out. So that's the thing is, is Tolkien really did invent that version of elf, and he pulled from Norse mythology. Well, yeah, I was, I was just about to say, I don't think he invented the concept, but he, he popularized an angle on it. Yes. For sure. And it looks like, from what I've read, his his idea of the elf is sort of like humans that did not piss off God and, and did not lose his favor. So they're always, they have this like perfection about them. They're really good at stuff. They excel at whatever they're trying to do. They live a very long time. They're, they're better than you because they are better than you kind of thing. They don't have that like original sin that debases them and turns them into people. Was that, was It sounds like his, a way he was approaching this species of, of fantasy creature while also taking stuff from Norse mythology. So I guess I, I want to ask, how do you prefer your elf? Um, like what's your, what's your favorite, not necessarily what comes to mind first, but what's your favorite elf in a fantasy setting? Is, do you like the Lord of the Rings stuff? Do you like an anime elf somewhere? Oh, that's a really good question because I feel like I don't know that many. Which is funny. Like, part of me wants to say Malfurion, because he's pretty cool, and he's in the books I, I have. But he's also, like, a stupid Gary Stu in those books. He's so fucking strong and powerful, and everyone likes him. Tyranita, or whatever her name is, definitely wants his, wants to have sex with him. Dude, I hate... I hate what they do with his voice actor. 
because they have a pretty good voice actor for Malfarian, but they give him like some of the lamest lines and the best moments are moments where he's not uh, voiced, but it'll be a text block that comes up. Oh, really? And it's like the sound bites of him. There's there's a part where he got abducted in a nightmare world. And so there's these like shadows of him and Tyrande's looking for him. It's like, we have to find my beloved. We have to hurry. And you run in there and there's a bunch of Malfurians and they're all whining. So the sound bites, if you look up Malfurian sound bite, you get a bunch of Tyrande. I, I'm lost. Come to me. Tyrande, it is so dark. Woe is me, Tyrande. And it's like, those aren't his best quotes, but you had him say this stuff a lot, didn't you? I think the thing with him is that I really like his spells in those in those books. I, he's He's got a very fun magic. And so it's less about him and more about the things he does, because there's a lot of cool spectacle. And then I played a druid, and he's like the first druid, so I, I thought that was really cool. Well, he, so he in is... retrospect, he's a bad answer. Well, no, it, he, he is literally a good character. Like, he is very strong for a reason. It's not just Mary Sue because... We got the like... train under a demigod. Well, yeah, but he also, like, has a lot on his shoulders. It's not for just a matter these. of, like, everything working out. It's like, there's some... There is baggage also. Sure. Um... Now, I, in Warcraft specifically, I like what they did where, in World of Warcraft, basically the Dark Elves are on the good guy side. Yeah. And then the Magic Elves are on the bad guy side. And I feel like that's a slight twist that makes it a little more unique. Without, you know, straying too far from expectation, I guess. Yeah. I'm sorry. I So I'm playing Animal Crossing and I got really mad because I just fucked up something. Um, i just sold all my bugs and i really wish i hadn't so oh no i'm very sad um i guess it's my turn to pick though huh yeah who's your favorite elf uh so i kind of like um you know what actually i'm gonna i'm gonna go further you know what movie i love is elf with will ferrell seriously we're gonna talk about fantasy elves and you're gonna be like you know what i like the santa ones so, well, that's the thing. I like the the cliche of, like, they're just jolly, and that's it. And I like what they did in that movie where it's, like, they're kind of depressed that they have to deal with the retard. Well, in that case, I really like the one that wants to be a dentist in that yeah, old... Yeah, uh... that's the thing. It's like he everyone's like, I love making toys. I love cookies and sugar. It's like, I want to be a dentist. And everybody's looking at him with this, like, side eye. And I love I love the ones that are, like... Your life is so painfully simple. How are you going to fuck this up? Um, Have you seen Disenchanted? No. On Netflix? Do you, do you know what Disenchanted is? Isn't that a cartoon made by the... Uh... Matt Groening. Yeah, that guy. That Futurama guys. Yeah, so... Well, The Simpsons. <laughs> the, the Futurama guy. I know what I said. Wow. So... I don't really give a shit about The Simpsons. I love um the the elf the elves are in that world are a lot like smurfs or keebler elves where they're just they're small and jolly and they they eat sugar um the the main elf that's like part of the party his name is elfo <laughs> and he's like so painfully like nice and polite like there there's a part i guess this is a spoiler but at the end of the first season he dies 
And then the second season opens. It's like, we got to get Elfo back. And so they use like a phone that can call the afterlife. And they call. And it's like, well, that's weird. He's not in hell with everyone else. Like, where is he? And so they check heaven just in case. And of course, he's just sitting up in heaven. Like, Elfo, you got to come back. And he's like, okay. And so he goes to God and says, hey, can I go back? And God's like, no, you can't leave heaven. Uh, it's like, well, what, what if I make you really mad? And God's like, you know what? Yeah, Elfo, if you make me mad, you can leave heaven. And the whole episode is Elfo trying to be rude. And he just oh, God. can't. That's funny. And, it, and it's it's the sort of thing that you expect the joke to get old. But it's actually kind of like, <laughs> it's just classic Elfo. Um, I, I just, I like that stuff. So I don't know what it is, but I like the dumb, short, like, gnome version of elves where they're more like fairies yeah. than than nobles i feel like there's a lot more there's almost more personality to those right like i've played and read enough fantasy books with elves and it, it, they really do kind of boil down to the same things with maybe the exceptions of a couple in the r.a salvador books but even then like I don't think he's doing anything that groundbreaking most of the time. He's just being like, oh, everyone expects this. If I do an elf that isn't that, that'll be really surprising. And then that's literally all it is. It's like, oh, what if this elf is, is kind of crazy and bad and wants revenge on a good guy? And then it's like, oh, no, that elf's so crazy, bad, and wants revenge. That's very un-elf-like. And then it's like, yeah, that that's it. There's no point, though. It's just it's just plot. Like, it's there's, there's nothing to the character. <laughs> Yeah, I also feel like a lot of times elves end up in the in a weird box where they're either going to be a cliche or their hook is that they're breaking from their cliche. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lack of personality and it's either is this going to be a stereotype of the character you're expecting or is the joke that Elfo wants to get out of heaven? I think part of the problem is if we go back to the, the what Tolkien was trying to do right is sort of oh, these are creatures that never fell out of their god's favor, and so they're basically perfect. And it's like, oh yeah, well, perfection is hella fucking boring. And while you can argue, like, there's a lot of politics going on in the Tolkien books, and, like, the owls are isolationists, and they're doing this and this and this, largely the ones you see on screen, there's not a lot to them. Like, Legolas is fun because he's got a bow and he banters with Gimli. But there's not a lot of character to Legolas in The Lord of the Rings, just as there's not a lot of character to Gimli or basically any of them. Like, Lord of the Rings is not a character book. And the only character with a lot of character is frickin' Tom Bombadil, and he's kind of annoying because he just sings songs for, like, 40 pages. I I really love the Legolas-Gimli dynamic. It's fun. It is fun. Um, So how about, let's pivot a little bit. Sometimes when I when I see an elf in a setting, they're like they're magic people. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it goes a step further, and it's like they're not even um, they're not even like of the the world that that's they're set in. It's more like they're from the the fae world, and they're basically like tall fairies, okay, or, yeah, or flightless pixies or something. Like what um, what's your take on fae stuff in fantasy? I like face stuff just fine. I know there's a lot of it in True Blood, especially the later seasons, where that show just decided it it was like, you know, we're we're like the dumbest urban fantasy thing. Let's just go hog wild. And so when the face stuff started showing up, 
it was fun because it, it introduced new characters and introduced new magic powers and visuals, and then you got to find out that Sookie's got like fey blood in her, and that's why she's psychic, or at least uh, uh, can read minds. And uh, I don't, I don't know if it, a lot of that ever went anywhere. I, there was like some politics that spilled in. It's like, oh yeah, it turns out I'm like king of the fey, but blah 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 blah. And like it was fun and it was kind of stupid. Ultimately, it never stuck with me that much because I can't remember any real details. But I was on board while it happened. That's fair. Um, I really love the fairy stuff they put in the Final Fantasy fourteen. There is a there's a region where you show up and pretty much you immediately get lost in fog. And the one guy explains like, "Oh, okay, yeah, the fairies found us before we found them, so we're gonna we're gonna wander forever in this fog because I think it's funny." And it's like you basically you get trapped if you go there and they just play pranks on you. And so the way you get around it is you have to find this weed that grows and it grows and the tip curls around into a circle. So you have to pick two of them and you hold them up like goofy glasses and look through it. And that's the only way to see through the fog. Oh, that's cute. It's yeah, it's cute. And then the fairies all get upset that it's like, well, you're not supposed to figure that out. And it's like, no, I've been here before. Remember, you let me go last time. It's like, well, you're no fun. And then they just, you know, they get rid of the fog because now it's not fun anymore. Mm-hmm. And the entire zone is just these like cringy pranks where it's like, yeah, okay. We're like, we got something serious going on. So what's neat is they kind of explain where the fairies come from. And what it is, is that area is just strong with like fae magic. And what happens is if a child dies in the woods, then that spirit might get stuck there if it's too close. And that's how a fairy is born. That's kind of dark, but I like it. And then you find other places where there's like water fairies that look like little frogs. And they're the same thing. Oh, the thing. children all drowned. Well, it's not just children. Like anyone that drowns turns into one of these frog people. Um, It... It's interesting because it's like, here's like these goofy things, but you get this really dire sense of danger. And it's just like, it's not the same danger of here's the big dragon. And it's like, I will crush you under my axe. It's like, it's a completely different kind of thing where it's like, they don't, they're children that don't have restraint. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting kind of twist where like the, the one guy that's staying there to study with them. And he's trying to like, he's trying to find answers that are outside the box. So he's like, well, I'll hang out with the pixies for a while. And basically, he learned reverse psychology to trick them into doing chores for him and leaving him alone. Because he nice. basically gives them, like, riddles. Or he says, like, um, like you know, I want to brew a magic potion, but I'm going to need these ingredients. And he gives a bunch of ingredients that will not make a magic potion. And they're so curious what the potion is that they're like, well, now I just want to know what this is. So they'll go out and do his grocery shopping, and then I'll make a soup. And it's like, oh, the potion didn't let me fly, but it tastes good. Do you want some? And they like them. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And it's like, you know, th- it's one of the highlights of this expansion, which is already a very strong expansion. <laughs> it's like really good fantasy lore, though. Like, those are like legitimately awesome fantasy ideas. And you're using things that people understand in a, in a fun, unique way. And I, I really appreciate that because it's hard to come up with that shit. Yeah, it really is. If it is. was easy, we'd all do it and we'd all hate it. And that's not how it works. I want to show remember, you um, the end boss, too. Just because I love the the boss music here. I remember reading a story. It was an urban fantasy thing. I think it was by uh, Mercedes Lackey, Dead Witch Walking or something like that. And the main character is a witch who is like kind of like a police officer, but helps solve uh, 
urban fantasy crimes, right? You know, fights vampires and werewolves. And her like partner is a is a fairy, a, a member of the Fae. And the uh, the fun stuff about that is like they're really small. They use little swords. They have a bit of magic. Um, they're they're horny as shit. Like the, the this dude like was having sex with lots of other fairies. He had like a shitload of kids and a really big family. And then they lived in her garden. And so they were almost like a line of defense if she ever got attacked and they got through the spells. It's like well I got these little these little fairies. Uh, that can that can help protect me because they're really fast and mean, and they got these little tiny swords that are super sharp, and uh, that was kind of fun. And then the thing is, is uh, the fairies hated the fuck out of pixies, and I don't know if it ever properly explained the difference, but it was sort of like the pixies really really bad, the fairies good unless you're a pixie, and in which case the fairies are really bad, and it's like this weird Romeo and Juliet style like blood war that they had going on for centuries. And so it's like, she'd come home, and it's like, why is my house a wreck? And it's like, oh, we, we had to kill some pixies they got in. And uh, it, it lasted a while. And it was that stupid, but fun, fun. Yeah. yeah. So, it's it's interesting. Um, You know what? This might be my glad space. I'll come back to it. Um, But you mentioned, like, how they, they're small, and they're agile, and it's like they have swords. I I always wanted to play as a player in D&D with the... Uh, was it third edition or fourth? I think fourth edition came out with an expansion book that was just fey rules. And it had fey races and it included like racial rules for being a pixie. And the one of the art in the, the race page, um, it's like a little pixie rogue that was hiding under a hat with a big dagger. And it's like that one picture, my mind raced with ideas where it's like, I gotta find a hat. <laughs> I I love you know I feel like a lot of people think of Tinkerbell and then their thought about Pixies stops there and it's like no you can get creative with it yeah it's um the, the, the fantasy books I think because there's so much fantasy shit now and so like the ones that are just like what if we take everything and just shove it into one thing and hope for the best the, the quality isn't always there but I, I do appreciate the attempt, and then just, like, the, the sort of, like, ah, eh, fuck it, let's, you know, let's have fun, like, attitude to it. Like, that's why I really like True Blood. Like, True Blood's kind of a mess of a show, but it's really fun. And it, it, you're, that's why you're watching it. You're not looking for, like, Game of Thrones, high art, whatever. You're, you're, you want to see vampires and witches and all this other shit fight each other and then get drunk and have sex and get high and have more sex. There's a lot of sex in that show. Like, it's just... It's stupid, and it and it knows it is, and that's why it works. I think you're right. That's an important component to it. I mean, by the end of the day, if you want to enjoy something, it should be just fun. I think there's a certain fun that comes with seriousness, um, and sometimes you want things just to be brutally serious. But the stuff that we remember the most tend to be the things that maybe were a little more varied than that. I mean, there's a reason, like, at this point, like, my favorite movie is Speed Racer, and it's because that movie is fucking dumb-ass fun, and I love it. It is gorgeous, but it is it is an adaptation of an anime, and it's John Goodman throws a ninja off a, you know, hotel. Like, it's it's ridiculous, and it knows it's ridiculous, and it plays really hard into that, and it has the visuals to match. And, I love yeah, that like, movie so much. It's I so like, good. I like when he, he calls it a ninja and just complains about how they don't make ninjas the way they used to. Yeah. It's like, this, is, 
but this is so like 70s era anime i just i love it i love a lot of serious stuff but at the same time yeah like like even going back to hamlet like hamlet's a very serious play he's a character who's depressed and he's thinking about there might not be god and he wants to kill himself but also he makes fun of people and he jokes and and there's like moments of fun in that play it's not just serious all the time like there's he's a human character and and he can have fun and he can want to have sex with Ophelia because she's hot and he's around his age, you know, like there's, there's the lowbrow smuttiness to it too. Like there's a lot of things in that play that make it well-rounded as a piece of uh, literature. Yeah. Being well-rounded is really key. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh boy. What? I'm so I'm just, I'm thinking about how like, how weird, uh, I think my top movies are so scattered. I want to say Speed Racer might be in my top ten movies. Nice. Um, I was just talking to my mom about Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse is great. It's, well, it's great, but it's also, like, it, it's it's not just functionally a good movie, but it's also, like, a study on what makes animation good. Mm-hmm. Which is also shocking because it's a CGI thing. But they use so many lessons learned from like five different media of <laughs> there's like so many different mediums of animation that are pulled into one film that functions that I'm, yeah. I'm I cannot get over the fact that it came out the way it did. Um, I was talking to my mom about specifically, let's talk about animation smears and she didn't, I don't think she really understood what I was describing. So it's like, well, let me just bring up a picture and I typed in animation smear. And the first thing that came up was a YouTube video talking about animation techniques used in Spider-Verse. So it's like, well, that's a good one. Even though it's not drawn, they do traditional smears in it. And so I'm going through like frame by frame and showing it to her. Um, And it was interesting because she didn't understand how that could be on the frame, but you don't see it when it runs full speed. And it's like, well, that's because they did it right. I could bring up a Looney Tunes and they're still experimenting and sometimes they don't always land. You know? Yeah. Did you see that uh, HBO is going to be doing Looney Tunes? Yeah, you sent me that. I actually, I wanted to, I wanted to complain. I wanted to file a complaint that you sent me that. I'm to sorry. Opinions are cheap at hr.hrgov. I there's something about it I don't like, and I don't know what it is other than I, I hate Bugs's voice. It's wrong. All the voices are wrong, and they're all animated bad. You know what's really great? You can look up Go Animate videos on YouTube. And they don't cost you an HBO subscription. Yeah. I I despise that. I watched it and I was like angry for a while after watching it. I There's just... I don't think it looks bad, but it doesn't look right. Because I'm so used to seeing these characters all hand animated. And Well, here's the thing. It's, uh, it's missing soul. And so I, I don't want to sound like I'm curmudgeon-y and I just don't like new things. Because... I liked the sitcom. Did you ever watch the Looney Tunes show? Oh, yeah, that show was great. It was great because they had a concept and they ran with it. And, you know, some sometimes the animation was a little cheap, but they knew where to put it when it was important. It's also really fucking funny. Like those It jokes was actually funny. They told jokes. Good. They, what, it was not what you expect from Looney Tunes, but they played off of what you know about the characters, put them in this setting and made it work within the setting and the context of this show. 
Um, it's the first time I ever tolerated Lola Bunny as a character. Lola is great in in that. Um, way the less music sexy, videos. Though. You saw the one where like Daffy Duck was like imagining himself as an all powerful wizard. I don't know if I saw that. Oh, I'm sure you did. Probably, I just don't remember. Um, but it's like that that got a lot of critique for being different. And it's like, no, no, you have to give it a chance. So when you sent me HBO's making new Looney Tunes, and it's like, okay, I gotta give it a chance. And my skin's crawling while I'm watching it. And it's like, this is so I see what they're trying to do, but it makes me sad that they bought Sesame Street because they're gonna ruin that too, you know? Yeah, they probably will. Wait, they bought Sesame Street? I... Yeah. Oh. Is this uh, Mary Melody's Daffy Duck the Wizard? Yeah. Oh, you found it? Yeah. Like, honestly, the, I might close out with this song because it's cool. But the music video is cool. <laughs> so it's definitely starting off like a power metal song. It's animated. Like, it, it is so, like, heavy and dark with these really striking lines and and a lot of, like, spooky gothic imagery and stuff and it looks like an 80s van that was airbrushed it's like old school 80s rock too like yeah even just like the the drum sound and everything like reminds me of that but it's it's daffy duck with like a wizard wand and he's like he's literally commanding demons to destroy other demons while volcanoes erupt because he's just having like a power rock fantasy while he's wandering around the mall by himself yeah because it just like showed him like He's actually, like, burning things in a microwave. It's... <laughs> but it's just... This has a lot more heart than the HBO stuff. This is awesome. So, I don't know. It's it's a little... It's it's a tricky thing to actually quantify. Because it's, it's really easy to just kind of say, Oh, this, is, this doesn't have soul. The, the old stuff had soul. But... The reality is if you compare the two, you kind of pick up on something that's missing. Well, here's the thing, right? Is um, So, like, I remember the clip I sent you was uh, uh, Bugs and Yosemite Sam. And they were doing Bugs Bunny and Yosemite Sam things, which isn't new. Like, all the old cartoons did that. And I feel like one of the things that the Looney Tunes show is it recontextualized, like, these characters' relationship. And so they, they had that old thing where, like, okay, Bugs and Yosemite don't get along, but now they're neighbors and, like, complaining about their lawns or whatever right like it's it it twists the relationship enough to become new again whereas this stuff what i've seen of the hbo stuff is like no we're going to twist it back to what's old because nostalgia is really cool and it and i think that's more the problem with it it's less the animation and it's more like it doesn't seem like it has any actual new ideas and you know do you like the old tex avery cartoons um because some people don't even like them that much. I mean, do you, do you like the classic Bugs Bunny stuff? Good old so, Big Chungus and all that? I guess, how old back are we going, right? Because I know early Bugs, he, had, he actually did have yellow gloves. And I don't know if I've seen a lot of those. Well, I'm talking about, um, like, let's take a classic one, like uh, like Wabbit Season, Duck Season, Fire. Oh, yeah, I, I, I it, enjoy that. So you like that stuff. Yes. I feel like if they were to make more of that, it's not that they can't. I just feel like taste in cartoons has changed. So you have to either deliberately bank on we're trying to make this old-fashioned or do something like the Looney Tunes show where it's structured completely differently. Yeah. Now, the old-fashioned thing can work. Did you see the Three Stooges movie? No. 
they actually managed to do a Three Stooges movie. And the clever way they did it was they cast people and had them act like Three Stooges. But they also structured the story around the stupidest premises that were broken up into three parts. So it felt like three separate shorts. Oh, okay. And it was actually like, oh, they did Three Stooges stuff. Like they they're repairing <laughs> they're repairing a, a an orphanage for the nuns, and they got to put the bell up on the top, and then the bell in the bell tower is hanging there. And it's like, oh yeah, let's stop for a break, and then and then like they're eating donuts, and then and then Curly gets his his nose stuck in the donut, and it's like, oh, hey Knucklehead, you got to help him. So Larry's like, why? Well, hey, hey, I'll just use this donut remover, and he grabs a a bolt that says do not remove and it unhinges the bell and then the bell falls off and it hits the nun and the nun's like get out of here <laughs> and it felt like an old skit yeah and it's like i love this it's really cheesy and hokey but man i'm loving it um now you've only seen that one episode of ren and stimpy i've right? seen probably more but that's the only one i remember because it's i i didn't really watch that a lot when i was a kid so yeah let, let yes so they rebooted it. I want to say it was for MTV or Spike yeah. We TV. I remember we watched a bit of that when we did that episode, and it, it was, was like, like a sex joke, right? We, yeah, it was disturbing, weird, and I didn't like the animation. Yeah. So there was one of those episodes that was actually smart because it felt like a Ren and Stimpy episode, and I feel like that one stood out separate from the others because the others were like, "How can we work in jokes that we couldn't tell Nickelodeon?" But this one was like actually funny. And it's kind of funny that I brought up that last example, because this one was framed around playing off of the cliches of Three Stooges skits. Mm -hmm. And they kept talking about, there was like a running gag that people like the Three Stooges, but they can't remember which one is Mo. And there's a part, (laughs) like, like Ren and Stimpy get asked to help rebuild a, a nunnery for the orphans. And so it's like, we gotta build a church for the orphans to live in. Um, and it's like, there's no reason for them to do that besides that's a thing that would happen in the three stages. So it's just, they're got to do that. And they weren't sure where to get like supplies. So I think, well, let's rob that house. So there's a part where they, <laughs> they like cut into the person's house and they're like, they hide in the person's TV and they're just like stealing things while the family's watching them through the lens of the TV. And, and the, and the mom is like, like, honey, wait, you know, can we change the channel? It's like, oh, shut up. I love the Three Stooges. It's like, I just, the skinny one's Mo, right? I like Mo. Well, it's just Ren and Stimpy inside the TV, like, stealing the jewelry. <laughs> um, And there's a part where they do a whole construction bit where they're, like, they're putting the house together. And they're doing stupid Three Stooges bits where, like, he has a, he has a lumber over his shoulder and he turns around too fast and hits Ren in the face. Um, or there's a part where like Ren's walking around with a sheet over his head or something and, and wind's blowing. So Stimpy's all like, I like, Oh no, it's a ghost. And he pulls out a crucifix. Like get him, Jesus. <laughs> and it's like, there were these jokes that were landing and it was funny and it was playing off of old style jokes, but being told with a modern context to them. And it was fun. So it that sounds really fun. I just don't like that. The, the, what I saw in the HBO version, it didn't have much thought to it. It was just like, what are the old cartoons? Uh, uh, somebody Sam's like gatekeeping something. Okay, what if it's a, it's a roller coaster? Okay, yeah. And then it stopped. <laughs> it's funny too because 
the Yosemite Sam Bugs Bunny stuff was always like at least the ones I most remember were almost they're really whimsical. It's like they're pirates or uh, knights or or something like that. I think at one point Yosemite was riding a camel and they were like in Egypt and he wanted to get in and Bugs wouldn't let him and like and so the setting was always like really grandiose and now it's like well what if they're at a carnival? It's like I don't, oh, I don't, you, I don't care. Think it's uh, it's a little too mundane. I think that's part of it, and that could be enough of a twist to make it work, but also, like, I'm pretty sure I've seen Bugs Bunny at carnivals before, and it's not like it needs to be new-new, but I don't know, if you're showing me a, a snippet or a trailer of this thing you're proud of, and it it's doing nothing for me, I mean, I yeah. am an audience for that, I like Bugs Bunny. And, and But that's, a, that's the other thing, this is what they're showing off. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. I have um I have a couple of like box sets of like Bugs Bunny and uh, Daffy Duck and Tom and Jerry like just on like DVD, and it's not something I throw in a lot, but there are times where it's like you know what sounds really good. I want to watch the rabbit and the duck beat the shit out of each other, <laughs> and not care about anything. And if I got cereal, I'm gonna eat that too. And there's just something really relaxing and charming. About like that kind of Saturday morning when the sunlight is just right, you know, and it's coming in through the window, and you're just like, man, I've I've done this so many times throughout my life, and it, it is like, it makes you feel safe, and also it's funny because it's the rabbit and the duck shooting each other. Yeah, I don't know that anyone's gonna look back at this HBO series with nostalgia or comfort. I don't feel like it's made for that. Like one of the jokes that you know. Uh, Yosemite shows that points at the rules and like one of them was no liberals and it's like I'm sure there were funny subversive adult jokes in the old Bugs Bunny stuff but well you know that it just didn't do it for me it's just like oh really that's what we're gonna do because your target audience isn't kids it's though I guess like the originals the target audiences weren't really kids they were they were shorts in front of movies the 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 originals it's hard to say because it I think the cartoons appeal to kids, but it was left open. Yeah. Um, I feel like with this, it's probably aimed at nostalgia. The same as uh, we bring up that Tom and Jerry go to Willy Wonka thing. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't think there's any kids <laughs> that were like, Mom, I like that one. That's my kid voice. What's wrong? That I reminds me, of, though. I do a lot of voices on VR chat, but I'll lose track of them. I got, I got a, I'm a Kmart employee. I got a Kmart employee avatar. Um, but my voice is Rocco Bodie's voice when he's a goth kid. <laughs> nice. Hello, and I'm, I'm throwing the paint now. Please don't drink it. It has lead in it. <laughs> the, the Tom and Jerry Willy Wonka thing's interesting because, uh, it wasn't that long ago I actually watched a newer Tom and Jerry movie on, I think it was on Cartoon Network. And that, that was a channel that was on, and, and we all just kind of ended up congregating my family and watching it and it was a Robin Hood thing but with Tom and Jerry in it and at first it's like this is dumb why did they make this and then it was like why is the animation in this really good and then there's like a lot of self-aware jokes about how um, Maid Marian is the only lady in the whole show and it seemed like all of the non-human characters were just like infatuated with her and wanted her to kiss him and it's like this is weird right and like yeah I think so and and it was actually kind of good. <laughs> no, I remember that one. That that one wasn't actually terrible. Um, it they started getting terrible once we got uh Tom and Jerry 
and Wizard of Oz. Because mm. that one, they did that same, um, like, the, the shot-for-shot remake of the movie, and then What If Tom and Jerry Were Also There. Oh. And I think after that one, they did an original one that was, like, a Christmas one. It, the quality wasn't there, but at least it wasn't shot-for-shot. And then we got this bizarre Willy Wonka one where the, there's like no art direction and the faces are all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I remember we talked about that on the show. We watched some clips of it and it was pretty, pretty frightening. There we go. I caught a bunch of bugs. Yay. Yay, cartoons. So anyways, I guess to, to wrap up my point, um, elves bore me and I'd rather talk about fairies. That's fair. I I like elves as a concept. I know, like, the, the Eldar and Warhammer are basically space elves. And I think they're kind of neat. But they're also really fucked up, right? Like, or at least the Dark Eldar are. So it's like, oh, well, at least I got that going for them. Oh, 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 you know what? The uh, the elf army in the fantasy setting, um, they got, like, they got fey stuff built in. Have you seen those ones? Uh, I don't think so. They're like fey folk. Um, and one of the big units I love, it's like a, it's a dryad, but it's a dryad that's half beehive and she commands the bees. That's cool. So there's like this like broke, it's like a bee mech with a ghost forest spirit that's like coming out of it. Here it is. Um, and it's like this intimidating monster, but it's also 100% based on like nature things. Oh, wow, that is a really wild-ass mech suit. Yeah, look at the detailing on that left arm with all the bugs flying out. That's crazy. That would be a bitch to paint. Yeah, it, it is a bigger model, so it should look kind of neat. But the amount of detailing like on the hive network and everything, it's like, oh, this is cool. And so it's like, you know, I sometimes I feel like I just, oh, I hate elves. They're so boring. And then I'll see one good example, and it's like, oh, that's cool. I like it. I don't know. She got a her the old form of her is pretty cool with the vines and she's got like a scythe. Yeah, that too. I like that. Um, That's fucking neat. Yeah, I mean they they have some neat units. Uh, they have some cool like treants where they kind of have a form where they look like they're just a tree, and then there's like a a version where they're very clearly awake and it's a spooky feeling to it. This is cool. I just so in the store here. They got those, like, green electric scooters that litter the streets. So I'm going to buy, like, 20 of them and hide them all over my island. <laughs> nice. Okay. Well, um, do you want to wrap up with a good old-fashioned glad space? Yeah. I was um, I was struggling to think of something, and then I, 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 I thought of something. Uh, <laughs> I love it when it works out. I know. So my, my parents are, are having their kitchen redone right now, and... They were going through some cupboards and stuff and, and clearing things out to have new cabinets done. And they found um, an old comic book my brother wrote and drew that we started flipping through the other day. And the, the premise was uh, the pigs are at war with the wieners. And uh, it was stupid because, I mean, he, it was something he wrote when he was probably like six or eight and, and you know, drew it out like a almost like a Saturday morning cartoon strip, right? So there's not like a lot of panel layout. It's just like three 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 um so like tom king i guess and uh just like flipping through it though it was so weirdly charming and dumb and like 
the product of someone of that age where it's like, this would be funny. Like, one of the pigs has a massive underbite, and so the joke is, like, every time that pig's drawn, his jaw gets bigger until the point where it's, like, drooping off from one panel and, like, into the other one. <laughs> and the, the story didn't make, like, fuck all sense. But there were, like, weird transformations and mechs made out of, you know, sausages and stuff like that. And it was just, like, it was really funny to just flip through and be like, what the fuck were we on when we were kids <laughs> and doing <laughs> shit like this? I love that. That's actually a really good glad space. That's what this should be as a reflection on what really makes us happy. Yeah, it was cool because it reminded me of, like, I did a comic of, of similar things when I was that age. And it was a, it was a cat and a rat. And the cat really liked... Uh, to wear underwear, and the rat had to go to the moon, or no, the sun, and, and replace the light bulb. And the, you know, it was it was dumb, but I did it when I was in, you know, like, fourth grade or whatever, so fucking course it was dumb. I still have it somewhere, too. I like that. What about you, Cameron? What you glad about? Um... Oh, okay, so I, I, I mentioned it earlier, but when you brought up the pixies and their weapons. Um, there's a there's a guy that his hobby is like weaponry and swordplay, and especially like medieval stuff. But he of course loves fantasy things too, and he does a series that he started a couple years ago, where uh, he'll look at a fantasy race and actually break down like how weapons work. How would it? How would a fantasy um, monster use it? So it's like often you see minotaurs depicted carrying axes, but would an axe actually be the best weapon for a minotaur to use? And he breaks down like assumptions of their physiology, but also where are they normally found? And then compares that to like what does axe technique look like? What, you know, does having power add to the utility of an axe? Because it's like a minotaur has a lot of wasted muscle swinging yeah. an axe. And they're typically found in, like, mazes where there's stone walls that don't give you a lot of swinging space and you can't parry with them well. So it's like, maybe the axe isn't the right choice for it. And it's a fun series, but he did a very good episode on fairies. And I don't want to, like, I don't want to, I guess, ruin the ending. But he breaks down a lot of options that fairies have and basically just the nature of cutting and cutting weight and also disproportionate strength because a lot of times if you see a combat fairy they're carrying like a very light um scaled down sword that doesn't actually look that practical but he breaks down would a small sword actually be practical it's basically like as lethal as a dagger but also what are the limits like if we assume certain things they could probably carry something bigger so what what are bigger things so i really recommend that i like this episode on uh on mermaids, he did a he did a couple on dwarves because people actually gave a lot of feedback on that one, and he had to revisit it. Hmm. Um, uh, the, like snake people, uh, monsters with more than one arm. Uh, it's a, it's really fun, so I recommend you look up Shadowversity. Uh, he also does breakdowns of Star Wars movies, and I feel like I really I disagree with them because he takes the swordplay too literally. And it's like, no, it it's supposed to be flashy and neat. It's not... They're, right. Of, of course they're using him wrong. We get that. And he'll rant about it for 40 minutes. And it's like, okay. But the fantasy stuff is great. I remember I've, I've visited his channel before 
for writing books, and I've used him as like a source or a reference for how certain weapons operate. I, I haven't seen his fantasy stuff, and I definitely want to check that out now because that sounds really cool. But yeah, I know actually, just in terms of like yeah shields and like how you would use a shield in combat and what kind of it would what kind of a shield it would take to stop this kind of weapon. I remember looking up a couple of videos like that. I think from him uh, when I was writing Stormbreather. So yeah, he's he, cool. He probably would have come up if you if you searched for things like that. Um, he did a he did a really interesting one actually breaking down, um, uh, like the double bladed sword, where if you were to kind of do a Darth Maul style weapon, and his example was with a literal sword, not a not a beam sword that's like from fantasy. But what's funny is like. He has some ideas with it. So what he did was he literally just made one so he could demonstrate and play with it. But the more he played with it, he's just genuinely having fun and thinking of new things. And he like he he basically rewrites his thesis halfway through the video because he realizes that, wait, if you just hold this like a pole arm, you can do pole arm things. But then you have the option of spinning it this way. So this is just like a cumbersome pole arm that's better than a pole arm. And he's like, you can see him like thinking it through. Mm-hmm. It's actually kind of fun. Um, he also did an episode on 40k uh, chainsaw swords. Oh, really? And that's kind of funny because he, he, of course, admits that like the set, <laughs> the setting's silly. So who cares? But he talks about how chainsaws work. And like, what if you had a chainsaw sword? What, you know, would that even make a difference? Um, so that's an interesting watch. Too. He did one so, on uh, Thanos's sword. Yeah, he did one Thanos's sword. He also did one on the sword in the new Doom game. There's a sword in the new Doom game. Yeah. Ooh, I and it's, play the new Doom game. And it's interesting too. His breakdown is like actually like yeah, this is a cool sword. <laughs> 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 Normally he gets uppity with the fantasy ones, but it's like no, it actually has some utility to it. Yeah, the the, the Thanos one he was not impressed by. It's stupid looking at it, though. I remember watching that movie, and when I saw Thanos pull out his sword, it's like, oh, Shad's going to have a field day with that one. I remember it's one of those things where it's like, this would just be better if it was a normal sword with the, the, the blade look like that. Because it's a cool looking blade. Like, and that's kind of all you need in a freaking fantasy sword. He doesn't need the other blade, but it's one handed. Like, And like there were some cool moments when he's fighting... Uh, the people and he's kind of you know using both blades but he's very limited in how he can swing it well i guess is is that based on something from the comics it wouldn't surprise me if it's coming from somewhere i understand why they did that yeah but i kind of don't know why they designed it if it was a new idea i i would have to look that up i have no idea so anyways uh shadowversity um yeah, we done. I think uh, I think we covered everything. Yeah, I feel pretty good. Um, I will say, I like I like the cookies that the elves make. They're good cookies. There's some pretty good cookies there. I wish they were cheaper. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, it, it, I've been trying to cut back, um, lose some weight, anyways. And I I think I I don't know if I said this on the show, but like, part of my diet technique is I've budgeted how much I spent on food and I'm just like, okay, I'll take money out of my food budget and that's my Warhammer budget. Yeah. So, so oh, partially not one-to-one I'm trying to put more into savings too, but it's like the more I save off of food, the more I'll reward myself. And it's kind of funny. Like I've cut a few things and it's like, wow, I can afford a Warhammer army. I, how much I've been eating. What the fuck? I feel like 
I like that idea. I don't do a lot of junk food. My my big problem is alcohol, and there's a lot of bad calories in there, and it's bad for you. But in the moment, it makes me feel really goddamn good. And sometimes I don't like work, and I come home, and I just want to feel good for a little bit. Want to know my secret, Cap? I never feel good. <laughs> 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 oh fuck we gotta end there goodbye everybody <laughs> <laughs>